Welcome to First Importance, featuring the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis. If you have your Bibles, would you join me again in Psalm 23? Though I trust uh, your time in Psalm 23 over the last week has rendered this just a formality. I know you all have it memorized. You've been meditating on this passage And I sure hope that that is the case, because I would say that today the world needs to see a church that believes Psalm 23. And more than the world needing to see a church that believes Psalm 23, the church needs men and women and boys and girls who live and exemplify the truths found in the 23rd Psalm. We spent some time last week diving into the first verse. Our first verse set the stage for the rest of the chapter. And while we'll only spend three weeks this time around in this chapter, We could spend much longer diving into each word and the importance of you meditating on these words day and night. I cannot begin, I cannot begin to express to you the importance of hiding these words in your heart. Through some very difficult times, God's word will help you get by and will see you through. I'm reminded of a story I've told many times. I didn't share this in the first service, but I've shared it many times from this pulpit, the story that Corey Ten Boom tells that every night before her family would go to bed uh, in their homes, her father would gather her family together and they would have a Bible study. And then came that fateful night that the German forces would take her and her family away and imprison them. And the first night they were sitting in that dark cell as a family, everything had been ripped from their arms. Everything they had counted as security was gone. And there before bedtime that night, the daddy gathered them together in the corner of the cell and began to quote, the scripture that he had laid upon his heart and meditated upon. And there in that cell, their family had Bible study and had time of worship. You can't recall to mind what you don't put in your heart. And so I hope that Psalm 23 is one of those chapters that you hide deep down, that you meditate upon often as it'll be a passage of scripture that will give you much consolation and encouragement during all the different times of your life. Psalm chapter 23, beginning in verse one, we read the word of the Lord and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. It is true. Let's pray. Father, what beautiful words I can meditate upon now and see even so clearly how in my short tenure in life you have been so faithful and so good. Despite all my shortcomings and my sin, you have been faithful. You have been the good shepherd. And as I meditate upon these words, I come to the conclusion that I am unable to clearly communicate the power of these words to your people. And so now, Lord, I lean heavily on your Holy Spirit and I ask for your anointing to teach your people what we would have, what you would have for us to learn today. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. There is a premise for this passage of Scripture today, for this sermon today, uh, that is, uh, it is the premise for the entire sermon, it's the premise for the entire chapter, and really the entire book, and the entire Bible. And the premise is this, the provision of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. Now, let me just kind of hit this real quick because a lot of people who claim to be Christians, who sit in the pews, who, who have a good reputation from everybody around them to, to be a, a faithful follower of Jesus can't say all the words that are in here because a lot of times people come to the Lord and they want his gift-wrapped presence, that box of things that he gives You know, the side benefits, the happiness, the wealth, the riches, all these things. They want his presence, but they don't want his presence. Him being in their lives. His presence in our lives changes things. And his favor, the provision, the things that he gives us is his presence. I recall to mind Moses. They have left Egypt, he and uh, the Hebrews. By mighty hand, God had gone with them, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to lead them and to protect them. You'll recall how they walked through the Red Sea, dry land where the water once set, and that Red Sea would come back over top of Pharaoh. And here's Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law the holy God inhabiting that mountain with lightning and with thunder. The people below initially afraid, but now as he, Moses is in God's presence, they are a little far off and the thunder and the lightning has kind of played its fear course with him and they have begun to construct an idol and God has told Moses they're doing a wicked thing. I'm going down to destroy these people and I will save you and you alone I will make a great nation. And Moses said, no, no God, please spare them. Spare them. And God said, okay, I'll spare them. Y'all can go into the promised land. 
but I ain't going with you. And Moses said, if you don't go, I ain't going. Because he understood something that Christians have forgotten today, that the presence of the Lord is his provision. And the very fact that we can have the Holy Spirit living in us is blessing enough. It is enough. And so from this basic premise of the provision of the Lord being his very presence, I have four very practical statements that I want you to be able to take with you and to place in your pocket and carry home with you and use at very difficult times. If you have been born again, if you have repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Lord, and you can truly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you can make the following Four statements. Number one, the first statement that I want you to take home with you today is this My shepherd is with me, and I am satisfied. My shepherd is with me, and I am satisfied. Look with me in verse two. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse two, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. Now, uh, many of us could acknowledge that we have very little to no experience with raising sheep. Uh, some folks in here are familiar with agriculture, but very few of us are really familiar with the life and the livelihood of a shepherd. But really what needs very little explanation is the beautiful picture that is painted here in verse 2. Here we see a sheep laying down in beautiful, lush, green pastures. A sheep that has had its fill of eating. It is content, and now the sheep is laying back, resting. Free from anxiety, free from fear of predators, the sheep has, uh, in the presence of the shepherd, been taken care of, and this, shep this sheep is satisfied. He's got a full tummy, and he's got no worries. He is satisfied. And then he goes on, not just does he lay down in green pastures. And by the way, when we hear the word makes there, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, you should understand that doesn't mean that God forces these sheep down. The word that is actually used here means cause, which means the shepherd's very presence brings such tranquility to the sheep that he can eat and be content and be satisfied. Satisfaction never comes by force. You're not going to force yourself to love Jesus. You can't force yourself to, to uh, love Scripture. You can't force yourself uh, to, to follow Jesus Rather, you have to trust and rely upon him. Christianity is not about, not about the work that you do, but about the work that the shepherd has already done. Here the sheep is laying down, and, and then the psalmist says, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He's able to receive refreshment, He's able to receive everything he needs to his content 
and the sheep is satisfied. And yet we know that today in the world that we live in, and the world that's always existed, satisfaction evades us at every corner. The Rolling Stones put it best when they said, I can't get no satisfaction. Though they tried and they tried and they tried. The Rolling Stones, of course, would know about trying to get satisfaction. Any interview uh, uh, with any of the members of the Rolling Stones would let you know that the wealth and the prosperity that they had on this earth gave them access to everything that this life promises happiness, and they could not receive happiness. Things in this life promise happiness, but are unable to deliver. They promise only temporary satisfaction. In the hit Broadway musical, Hamilton, the, one of the central characters, Angela, uh, excuse me, uh, one of the central, central characters, Angelica Schuyler, tells of Alexander Hamilton, he can never be satisfied. He will never be satisfied. And that's precisely the world we live in. No satisfaction. Just temporary highs. You get something to eat, you have your content, it's the best meal you've ever had. You lean back, you say, you cannot have another bite, I am satisfied. And then four hours later, you say, I am starving. The satisfaction was temporary. But here the psalmist says, the very presence of my shepherd gives lasting satisfaction. The world longs for satisfaction and cannot find it. The Christian has access to satisfaction but never uses it. The Bible is abundantly clear that only God can provide satisfaction, only his presence. The psalmist will say elsewhere in chapter 63 of Psalms in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. Friends, the only satisfaction, the only lasting satisfaction that is to be had in this life is in the good shepherd and is in his presence And every moment outside of his presence should be for us a desire to be back in his presence. We can proclaim, as we did earlier, that we are standing on holy ground, that the presence of the Lord is in this place, and yet God's presence does not come by mankind's proclamation, but by his own will. We should desire and long for the presence of God, which brings satisfaction. C.S. Lewis, the great author, said it best when he said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Friends, are you satisfied in his presence? Are you satisfied with him and who he is? The scripture tells us of him, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Jesus will say of himself, all who are thirsty, come and drink from the well that never runs dry. He will also save himself, I'm the bread of life that satisfies the hungry soul. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Or have you just been happy with the things that he's provided for you, the temporary physical things? Oh, the, the one who can claim the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, can say this great and wonderful statement, my shepherd is with me and I am satisfied. Are you satisfied today? Number two, the second statement that you can take with you if the Lord is your shepherd. It's found in verse three, my shepherd is with me and I am restored. And I am restored. Verse three says, he restores my soul. It's commonly understood to every one of us that sheep are prone to wander. They've been given a nice patch of green grass and they look through the fence and they see brown grass on the other side and they wonder, huh, I wonder what that tastes like. I bet you that's better than the green grass I have over here. I'm going to have to crawl and seek and do everything I can to be distracted and to get over into that brown grass. We're a lot more like sheep than we care to admit. God, you've provided everything I need, but man, you know, if I can lie and make a little bit ahead and make a little extra money, that brown grass looks pretty good over there. That gossip, that weed over there on the other side of that fence that's kind of brownish, that gossip weed, man, that looks really good. That, that lush, brown, dead pile of weeds we know as lust, it looks really good from where I'm standing. We see, we understand what it's like to be a sheep because when a sheep goes out of his protection of his shepherd, he is vulnerable to attack from the enemy and sickness hurting himself. We understand that. Too often, we try to leave the shepherd's care and search out our own things other than what he has provided. And we discover when we do that, we are broken. We live in a broken world. A world that is absolutely broken. Everyone here, everyone online, you understand the brokenness that we feel. The, the, the insecurities that we have. If everyone knew how broken I really was, they wouldn't want to be my friends. Even our heroes. I, I discovered this last week, a prominent preacher uh, that died sometime in my lifetime, I'm sure, that I'd always looked up to and, and just thought the world of, and then I'd read some things that this person said, and I said, wow, he was a sinner after all. He failed after all. He was broken after all. Statues, busts, paintings can't do justice. You can only paint up those people that you have, that you, you want to make God-like, and yet they're not. They're broken. Just like every one of us, we live in a broken world. We feel it, and yet we don't want to admit it. And in this broken world, our shepherd brings restoration. He's the only one that can do it. It was the entire ministry of Jesus here on earth. Even the things he did physically for people was about restoration. What did he do? He restored sight to the blind. He restored the ability to walk. 
to the lame. He restored life to Lazarus and indeed to all who repent and believe. You see, Jesus is the only one who can do anything with the Humpty Dumpty lives we have ourselves in. No one can put you back together. You can't do it by willpower. No books that you read can do it. No therapy can do it. No self-help books can repair the brokenness that is you. But only Jesus can provide restoration. You see, my shepherd is with me and I am restored. But that word restore not only means to put back together, but it also means to return. Meaning this, a lot of times we say, well, I repented of my sins and I came back to Jesus. That's a very true statement. But a lot of times we give ourselves a little more credit than we deserve. Because after all, it wasn't you that just returned on your own. It was a shepherd that came looking for you. There was a savior that came looking for you. And just like Paul on his way to Damascus to do his own work and to do his own evil, we were confronted by Jesus. We were confronted by our sin. We were confronted by the Holy Spirit. And we were commanded to turn and follow him. You see, our shepherd not only restores, but he returns us. He brings us back again to himself. And everyone who's lost and everyone who's run away understands the beauty of the return. And Jesus has done that. Let me just say this also for the believer. When we speak of him restoring or returning our soul, this has very practical application for us. Because if you're gazing at Jesus, you don't have time to gaze at the world. If you're looking upon Jesus and you are infatuated in his presence, you won't have time to give thought to the world and to the things of this world. And it's to that end that James would write in James chapter 4 in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You say, Josh, I'm struggling with sin. Hey, brothers, sisters, we're in the same boat. Are you drawn near to God? Josh, I'm struggling with this particular sin. I'm struggling with these things. Are you keeping your eyes set on Jesus? And just like Peter, too often we step out of that boat and we're looking at Jesus and everything's going good. We're walking on water. But when we begin to look at the things around us in the world, we begin to sink. The good shepherd restores. You see, If I can say the Lord is my shepherd, I can say my shepherd is with me and in his presence I am restored. Number three, the third point I want you to take home, chew on today, think about, meditate on tonight, this phrase, my shepherd is with me and I have guidance. My shepherd is with me and I have guidance. That's what he says next in verse 3. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God has not left us here as orphans. Uh, Many of you would probably say if only Jesus were physically present here today, then I would be able to follow him better. I doubt it. 
I doubt it because Jesus himself said it is far better that he goes to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come and shed light on the things that he had proclaimed and convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and guide us into all truth. You see, he has not left us here as orphans, but he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit guides us. I don't know what to do. Have you prayed about it? I don't know what to do in my life regarding this business decision. Do you know that God cares about your business decisions? Do you know that God cares about your family? How about next time, instead of spouting off at the mouth, you say, hey, I better stop and ask the Lord whether or not I should say this. And the good chance is he's going to save you from sticking your foot in your mouth. And I can say that from like a lot of examples where I've done it mostly wrong and then sometimes right. Stop and ask God for guidance. Here, the sheep is not worried. He's content. His life is great. Why? Because in his, she- in his life, the shepherd gives him guidance. He gives him guidance. He leads. Uh, famous pastor Joseph H. Gilmore from New Hampshire in 1880 was reading Psalm 23, and he wanted to convey the meaning of this to his people, and so he penned a song for them to sing together. Maybe you will remember this song. Verse 1 says, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me, his faithful follower, I would be. For by his hand, he leadeth me. And then in verse four. And when my task on earth is done, when by thy grace thy victory is won, even death's cold wave I cannot flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. Pause to think about this for just a moment. The same God that created the entire creation in six days and rested on the seventh. The same God who holds all power and is perfectly content in himself that he does not need you and I. The same God who has been patient with us in our sin and in our rebellion leads us. Think about that. What leader steps down and low, I mean, of such high position and leads such lowly folks such as, such as us, and yet, it's what God does. He leads us in paths of righteousness, in right paths, so we don't get hurt. His law is given to us so that we might experience his will for our lives and not our will for our lives. His will is infinitely better than ours. And when we live for ourselves, we get ourselves in trouble. But he doesn't do it for our sakes. He does it for his sake. By the way, the subject of this entire chapter is the Lord. It's not the sheep. The sheep mean nothing without the shepherd. The subject of this entire passage is the Lord. This is his world. He can do with it as he wants. This is his life. He can do with it as his want. This this is his church. This is his city. God can do with this world as he wants. He does not need your permission or your belief in him to do that. He does not need you to believe I can't believe in a God who would say or do that. That doesn't matter. 
because he is who he is and he does things for his own sake, for his own uh, for his own holiness. Isaiah 48 verses 10 through 11 will teach us that for my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should I, my name be profane, my glory I will not give to another. And Romans eleven thirty six says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God doesn't consult your eye on the things that he should do. We should submit to him everything he does, he does for his own sake. And you and I don't deserve it. You and I don't deserve to have him do stuff for us. He does it for his own sake. Finally, not only can we say my shepherd is with me and I'm satisfied, we can not only say I'm, my shepherd is with me and I'm restored, my shepherd is with me and I have guidance, but finally we can say my shepherd is with me and I am comforted. Look with me in verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Again, why does he fear no evil? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Look at the comfort that is provided. Unless Jesus comes back soon, every one of us will eventually face death. Our heart will beat its last, our lungs will breathe its last, and our loved ones must say goodbye. The book will close. There will be no more that can be done in this life. Death is final. And it is no respecter of age or ethnicity or culture. Death comes to everyone. And yet the psalmist gives us here three principles that should give us great comfort in times when we face death. Number one, he gives us the pace of the sheep. Do you see the pace of the sheep here? Even though I walk. Here lately, I've been watching a bunch of YouTube videos of wildlife. I know, I'm weird. But like, I'm watching like lions and uh, tigers and bears. Oh my, I have ADD, so I had to say that, okay. I'm watching like lions and cheetahs and all these things. And I, you watch them s stalk their prey. It's really interesting to watch, and you don't know who you're rooting for at any given moment, but there'll be like this antelope drinking water down, and it's just like his life is great. Everything is good. He's got some water. What more could he want? He's relaxing in the sun, but little does he know there's a huge line in the brush over here creeping up, creeping up, and then last minute, when the lion has his balance and everything right, he leaps and covers a short amount of space in a short period of time, and he leaps upon that animal. And what does the gazelle do? Whoa, that was close. Do they walk? Walk away? No. That lion comes after them and they go. I thought it'd be funnier to watch me run takes off running, lightning bolt, jukes, everything it can to get out of the claws of this line. He takes off running. 
And that's the life, that's the death, really, of so many people around us, trying to figure out what to do. It's an anxious time. What in the world is going to happen? I'm not sure what's going to happen. They're, they're running. They're frantic. The pace has changed. But for believers who can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, the story's different. I've sat around the deathbed of many of our saints here in this church, watched them come to their last breaths. I'm reminded of Brother Tim Hoyle, our former music minister, holding his hand, looking at his eyes, praying with him, saying, I'm still praying for a miracle, Tim. And the peace and assurance that was in his heart and on his eyes that he was taken care of is peace that not everybody has, that only a few people have. You see, his pace had not changed, just like in this passage. But not only had the pace of the sheep give us great comfort in time of death, but look at the destination. Even though I walk through. Through. Everyone else in this life, hey, listen, I'm going to preach if you keep saying amen. You hear me? I'm about to start preaching. You keep it up, okay? Listen. We're walking through it. The entire world walks to it. We walk through it. You see, death is just the porch to the house that we're headed to. We're headed to a heavenly kingdom. We're headed to a place where death is no more and crying is no more and pain is no more. And let me tell you something else, folks. Sin is no more. I cannot wait to cross that porch and come into that house and finally be rid of all that sin that was in my life, the sin that so easily beset me. Lord, of all the things that I long to see, my family and Jesus and all these wonderful things, there won't be no sin on me no more. Because I walked through it. I walked through it. And not to it. Not everyone can say that. If you're not one of the sheep, if you've not repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Lord, that doesn't belong to you. This isn't a statement you can make confidently. But for those who've been changed, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you can say that I have the pace of the sheep. I have the destination of the sheep. And finally here we can see the substance of the death. What does he say here? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever met anyone scared of their own shadow? People have said that. No one's really scared of their own shadow because the shadow of a sword never killed anybody. The shadow of a bullet never pierced anybody's heart. You see, what we're dealing with, as real as it may seem, is just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Jesus would say, if any man believes in me, if any man believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection and the life. We don't have to be concerned during those times. We can have comfort. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, my shepherd is with me, and I am satisfied my shepherd is with me and I am restored. My shepherd is with me and I have guidance. My shepherd is with me and I'm comforted. January 21st of 1999, me and my family were uh, sitting in the living room. We had some guests over 
And we had some guests over because it was storming and uh, the husband was away at the Air Force Base. It was storming outside and we were sitting in the living room talking and all of a sudden the lights began to flicker and then they went off and we heard a loud noise, a really loud noise. And my mom yelled, get to the bathroom. And so we took off and we jumped in the tub. I remember the lady who was with us, a neighbor from down the street, was in a wheelchair and my dad could not get her through the bathroom door. And so I remember seeing him pick her up and throw her in there, okay? Which could have been a whole other set of problems, but there was like an emergency. And they shut the door and I remember my mom laying down on top of me and my brother and sister in the bathtub. And then on top of my mom, I saw my dad lean down and hold on. I looked up to the ceiling and I saw the ceiling waving back and forth. We believe we have a picture. Do we have that picture? The tornado destroyed everything in that town. That's the sanctuary. We were living in the parsonage. That's the sanctuary that was less than 50 yards from our house. One acre, a lot, 15 big uh, walnut and uh, I think it was a pecan tree, oak trees in our yard, all of them knocked down, none of them on the house. That's the sanctuary. Torn up right there at the church is where the tornado, supposedly, this is what they tell me, turned into two tornadoes and followed two different paths. I didn't know that was possible. You got that second picture of the Family Life Center? There you go, that was the Family Life Center just less than a half a football field away. Destroyed. That night, 80 tornadoes would have gone across Arkansas, devastating many towns. But as I saw that ceiling move, you'd think I'd been scared, wouldn't you? You know me. You know how easily I jump, how much of a scaredy cat I am. People in the office will testify. They jump out and scare me. I'm a, I'm scared. I wasn't scared. Do you know why? Because my mom and dad were with me. And they were covering me up at the peril of their own life. They had laid their bodies on top of us, my mother to protect us, my father to protect her and us. Thankfully, we had very little damage to our house that night. But the presence of my mother and father changed the way that I view things. You see, because when God is with us, we don't have to be afraid. And when God is with us, we can have satisfaction. And when God is with us, we can have guidance and restoration and comfort. And so my question for you truly is today, is God with you? Is his presence on you and in your heart? Have you truly repented of your sins and called upon Jesus as Lord? If not, in a few moments, I'm gonna give you a chance to ask Jesus into your heart. I'm gonna give you a chance to repent and turn to Jesus and live for him down here during our invitation. But maybe you're here today and you are saved but you've not been living in his presence. What are you waiting on? Repent. Enjoy the good shepherd whose presence is his provision. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask now during this time of invitation for those who are watching online and those who are here, Lord, that somehow you were able to speak through my mumbling and fumbling around these words and your Holy Spirit that tugged upon the hearts of those who are listening. And if there's anyone who has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today they would repent of their sins. They would turn to Jesus who bled and died for them and rose again. They would confess him as Lord. And they'd make that decision public with me or with this church. Father, for those of us Christians who've been living lives content outside your presence, Lord, I pray that we would thirst and long for your presence. God, I pray you'd use this time for your glory, and I'll be very careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of First Importance. You're invited to check out our other sermons on this channel, and if you're in the West Memphis area, to join us for our Sunday worship at 1045 a.m.